Okay. Hey, welcome, guys. Welcome to the show we call No See, Feel the Market, where we give you three perspectives on what we see in the market, and we try to decipher what we think will happen. Today, we have Everson, who is a wealth of knowledge, who understands the difference between a good apple and a bad apple, and will make the, uh, the perfect play on that. He'll tell you what's going to pop, and in five minutes or so, it's going to pop. And then we have Patrick, who has a tremendous amount of energy about oil. He loves oil right now, and he's also talking about his, uh, Tesla. So he's got this balance in his brain just going back and forth. And then you have myself, who's outdoors right now, just because I had a pool party right next to my house. So I had to get away from the noise. So if you had a, a little bit of wind, it's my fault. I apologize. But anyways, let's get started. Um, we just wanted to go into uh, what did we see last week and how do we feel about it? I wanted to start with Patrick. Also, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm pretty excited about my prediction last week when I said that, contrary to everyone's belief, I said that Monday was going to go down, which everyone agreed, but said it was going to be a good day to buy. And then, you know, good prediction. We got three up days that were the best days since 1933. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I did talk about AMC, which wasn't a great call. In the sense of it didn't go down nearly as much as I thought. Actually, it didn't really do much. And I actually got out of that pretty quickly. So I just broke even with that. was able to exit those Royal Caribbean call, um, calls with a big profit. That was great. And then just my usual covered calls on oil. So pretty good month. month in, um, I mean, it's been rough net worth wise you know pretty big drop because of the price of oil but cash flow wise with the calls made thirteen thousand dollars this month so you know it helps balance the cost down but pretty interesting week again and we'll see how next week is based on the stimulus and what the current sentiment is of the market so Iverson, what Sorry, Max, I think you went mute. What was that again? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, what about you? What did you feel about last week and what kind of uh, what plays did you make on? It was really interesting. Uh, last week was a really interesting time. Uh, I sold out on I sold out on a lot of my puts because of the stimulus package. I think that two point two trillion dollars stimulating the market in addition to your um, uh, industry um, and also the company itself and, 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 you know, big money holders such as Warren Buffett. And, uh, you know, that this is just enough money to be able to sustain an economy for at least, you know, the, a good part of the year. So I, I think, you know, and, and we're probably going to talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, the idea about whether this is a fake pump in the market or if this is a real pump in the market, uh, Patrick, uh, I kind of mentioned that uh, earlier in in one of our uh, our texts, but I'm I'm kind of thinking that moving forward here, maybe there's a downtrend with the numbers of the virus, and so if that's the case, then you know sentiment moving forward might be more bullish than bearish. We'll we'll go ahead and talk about it, but getting back to the the reason why I started to trade the way I did, I sold off a lot of my puts. Um, so, I mean, I'll just go through some of them here. 
I had I had puts obviously on Lyft. I had puts on Uber. So some some of them I tried to catch profits at the tail end uh, as moving into the momentum. So I sold off for a little less uh, than I had wanted to uh, profit off of, just a few hundreds. Um, I I did have some of the calls coming back on on frontline uh, stock ticker FRO. Uh, so made a bit with FRO on the comeback. Uh, let's see. And then also with a lot of the puts on the 27th, uh, March the 27th puts, just closing out a lot of the puts that I had. Some of them, some of the companies that I felt would kind of uh, go go in towards next week and uh, the prior month, I, I kind of held some of those puts, just looking at the charts and, and seeing you know the company overall, uh, just assessing all that data. I may have kept some of the puts. Um, I know Budweiser was one of the companies that I had a, a, a strong puts on, but it looks like it's been it, it's been bleeding for quite a while. So I I kind of saw a, a comeback with Budweiser, so I did a reverse and did a little bit of a, a call on that. So moving forward, we'll talk about moving forward later. But that's that's essentially what I've what I've done uh, for this week. T-Mobile, or not T-Mobile, but AT&T also picked up a few calls on uh, AT&T. Did a swing trade on AT&T. Uh, Triple M, GE. I think GE is really good for the uh, the Call of Duty that they're stepping up, making ventilators. So I put in for a little bit on GE, sold out on GE. And that one, that one OK trade, the OKE, did really good on a call for that as well as as Snapchat. I don't know if we talked about it last week, but Snapchat was one of those stocks that I, I sort of seen, uh, you, you know, just way too low, $8 per share. Uh, any, anytime it goes under $10 per share for me, I thought it was way too low for the stock. I mean, this next generation of kids, they like the Snapchat. So, and the advertisement base being picked up, I couldn't see this stock going down any further so i picked up some calls made a little bit of money and i'm, I'm gonna see if i could uh, predict what's gonna happen in the in the future for that one but I, I know it's a lot i do a lot of trading uh and it's normally on either on a swing basis or i try to do, do a day trade or two uh but i i kind of i, I kind of see the sentiment moving in, in a more positive direction moving forward until there's the sentiment that makes it a little less negative, but I'm not seeing it in the news. I'm not seeing it in the charts. So I think that we, we go a little further from here. So I adjusted my positions so I could get out of the puts. Still stay a little bit uh, bearish, but at the same time, I think I'm going to go uh, more more towards the bull market moving forward here. Hey, Max, just uh, before you pick up, so um, that I'd just what? like to add something real quick. One thing that I found interesting in the past week is the fact that, you know, like two weeks ago, we talked about the stimulus that was announced and it didn't help the market at all. The market kept crashing, but it, it kind of had a delayed effect. It only started helping the market when they were about to, like they were arguing about it in the Senate and debating it. I thought that it was pretty interesting that there was that delay. You know, often we talk about, oh, it's priced in, right? But in this case, it took a long time for it to actually be priced in. It did. 
So, I mean, that makes sense that uh, it was delayed that way because sometimes, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we were having that, that trade war with China, uh, every day, every other day, you, or maybe every other week, you would hear the news say, like, hey, we're so close to this deal. And then the market would spike off of that information. Um, and so this time they actually waited until we knew for sure the paperwork was going to get signed. Uh, so, you know, they could talk about all the money they were going to send into the market, but the market didn't start going up until we knew for sure. Like, you know, it's just a few more sentences and then we're good to go. Uh, I think the market did learn from the manipulation that had happened during that trade war or, I mean, the trade war is still going on, but that's a different story. Um, so Everson, it, it sounds like you're busy every week and you have all these trades going up. Um, do you kind of have a ratio on, okay, well, as of right now, I sort of want to be like 70% bearish and 30% bullish, uh, or you just kind of wing it. Is it more concrete or is it more art? I, I sort of, it, it is very artistic. I, I, I think that trading is sort of like a canvas and you're painting a picture and you never knew, you never know what the masterpiece is until the final art piece is done. Uh, and that's what I see as profitability at the end of the year is all of your investments trading. You see what happens with, with your investments, but it's also got a little bit of logic to it. Uh, if I had to answer on a percentage scale, I would say that I'm probably more, I'm probably more so at a 50-50 with everything. Um, actually, no, I, I, I couldn't say that. I, I would say that I'd probably be a little little more bullish at a 60%, 60 to 65% rate. And I'll, I'll do bearish with the rest. Uh, only okay. because they, there's still a level of uncertainty, but there's so much positive news if we if we bring it to light. If, you know, Obviously, the virus is, is a, a very negative uh, thing for, for any economy in the world. But some of the positives, if we look at those, such as wars have stopped. No one's fighting wars. <laughs> I mean, actual physical battles, hand-to-hand um, -hand combat and whatnot. Um, they've, you have ceasefires everywhere because they want the, the virus to you know, do its course. And then they go back with fighting each other again. That's, That's so funny, news. you know, yeah, you don't know? let don't let the virus kill you. I want to make sure I do it, you know. Um, so, Patrick, we, we did have a little bit of a conversation earlier about you thought this might just be a cat bounce. Uh, you didn't really buy into the news that uh, this would be a bottom. Is that right? Well, the way I see it, I, I talked about it a little bit last week. I feel like right now, especially right now with the volatility, it always, the pendulum swings too far one way and another. So on Monday, negative news during the weekend, it was going to go down almost no matter what. And then the stimulus package, they started debating it. Market went up and up and up. So on Thursday, I figured, okay, now it swung too far up. And now it's going to go down. So I actually sold puts on the SPY on Thursday night when it was at the peak and then sold them on Friday. So I made a decent amount of money on that. Um, the reason I want to talk about the dead cat bounce is because of the fact that usually in recessions or like in periods of really high declines like these, usually there is a bottom, then it goes up because people uh, that had all these puts kind of have to, uh, there's a little bit of a short squeeze and people have to cover. And then after that, when that upward momentum is exhausted, 
then it goes back down after that. And then it's going to either go back to the bottom and keep going down, or then it's going to stabilize and start going up. So I'm not 100% sure which way it's going right now. I think that we're going to hit the bottom that we saw last week again, but I'm not quite sure yet if it's going to rebound from there or go back down. So that's why I wanted us to kind of have a discussion about this. Um, I don't see it the same way as Everson. Everson seems to indicate that there's like a lot of good news out there. I'm not seeing it. I feel like the stimulus is the only thing that kind of propped up the market. But now that that massive good news, like that massive influx of money is in the market, or coming into the market in the next two three weeks what are the good news that are going to stimulate the market i'm not seeing anything on the horizon that's going to prop it up but there's a lot of opportunities for bad news to uh, destabilize the market especially if the number of cases keep spiking uh, right now as we know new york is the biggest uh, state that has cases but they're talking about new orleans is starting to spike up of course there's um i think it's michigan that has a lot of cases you know so as it starts spreading i think there's a lot more opportunities for bad news than good news until we hit the top of the cases and it starts going down that's when the market's going to like shoot back up but until we reach that point that peak which no one seems to exactly know what it's going to be kind of think maybe two or three weeks until we reach that point i don't see what's going to help the market so i think we're going to hit the bottom again and then maybe it'll be five percent hey so i'm actually on the hey, opposite Max. side yeah sorry uh, we're getting a lot of feedback with the wind uh you mind muting the mic a little bit i'm going to try something out real quick right. oh <laughs> let's see if this works Oh. But I wanted to step in and, and talk about that, Patrick. You were mentioning about uh, AMC earlier and yep. also about the sentiment moving forward with the, uh, y you know, the direction and everything. Uh, the only reason why I say it is because uh, China's numbers uh, of the virus is, is starting to subside. And they, they've mentioned that. Uh, another thing, I, I know what you mean about that volatility and, you know, especially with AMC. Because I, I think it was you and I, we kind of traded at the same time, just knowing that you know movie theaters they they wouldn't be it wouldn't be happening a whole lot. Uh, no business means no money, and they still have to pay rent uh, for their for the real estate properties or uh, whether they rent it or they they own it, uh, they still have to pay for that land. Uh, that being said, what I seen was institutional buying, and it stopped the price from the options being making more profits than it, it, it already had. So I kind of seen that support at the bottom on the charts. And that led me to do the exact same trade that you did. I probably made like a, a couple of bucks off of it, but I wasn't going to stay in there for very long. Once, yeah. once I seen that resistance or that support level uh, b being brought at and it keeps, it kept going down. There's no investors in the market. So in the average trade volume wasn't working right. So, this is how I knew it's same thing with JC pennies. JC pennies did the same thing where the option, uh, it, it stopped it from making money either way, e either on a call or a put you want to, you want to, uh, essentially be able to get all of the money that's invested in these options, wipe it off the table, move in the opposite direction to just dodge the, uh, 
your, your average investor from being able to profit on that. So there's a little bit of manipulation that happens, I think, with, with the market. So I, I see exactly what you're saying. But just to you know, clarify, China has a big, big role with all of this. And you know, being that the virus has started there, I, when we look at something that's priced in, America can see, oh, so we're so many days ahead uh, or behind from China. So our expectation here moving forward, okay, so we got a week left or we got two weeks left or a month left. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi just released uh, a, a counter offer of $2.5 trillion. We're already at $2.2 trillion that's approved of to be able to have a counter offer for even more. Oh, we're, we're successful already as it is. I mean, Granted that our debt is is astronomical uh, at this point. I mean, I guess we're just you know printing, printing out money like print money. people who, yeah. who grab so, money like people who pick up toilet paper at Costco. So Iverson, you're right that you know we're monitoring the the numbers that went through Italy and China as well. But uh, from what I can see, we're actually off the charts now. We're actually accelerating quicker than Italy and China. Right. Um, but right. the the good news. So Patrick, you were talking about. You know, we've priced in all the good news. And so you're talking about that dead cat bounce. I'm actually on the opposite right. side. I feel like we're definitely building that bottom. And the reason I say that is we had horrible news, horrible news on Thursday, $3.3 million. Uh, I'm sorry, 3.3 million unemployment filed. That's ridiculous. That's the worst that's ever been. And the market actually chose to go up. Um, so. Anytime you have really bad news and the market doesn't really react in a negative way, that means you're sort of getting close to that bottom. Um, so last week we talked about that that floor that we had on the spy, which was about uh, 230, 233, that kind of stuff. Uh, we had actually punctured it last week, and I said the only way to actually go back up is if we have a crack and snap, uh, which means that you you go through a support. You activate everyone's stop loss. Once that's done, you pop right back up. And if you look at the chart, that's exactly what happened. So a lot of people lost a lot of money because all their stop losses were activated. And so, boom, it goes straight back up. So uh, a lot of money changed hands last week. And last week was very right. volatile. A lot of people didn't really know what was happening. I know Patrick did say that it was going to go down and uh, it would be a great buying opportunity, but go up uh, from that point. Not a lot of people predicted that. And to be honest, uh, not a lot of people could have predicted that. So I wanted to talk about when you head into a, a volatile market and you're not sure what to do, um, there's a thing called non-trades. Uh, and in fact, uh, this, uh, this very good, very good trainer in options was actually sent around the country to talk to all the big brokerage firms to talk about non-trades. And the first time he was asked to do that, he said, what the heck is a non-trade? And so the person had to tell him, oh, a non-trade is when you make a decision not to get into the market for a specific reason. So I wanted to go around and see if you guys made any non-trades last week and maybe get some of the requirements that you guys need in order to get into the market. If you don't get that uh, criteria, you do a non-trade and you don't activate. So I wanted to start with you, Patrick. Did you have any non-trades? And do you have any systems on how to do non-trades? So there's three examples that come to mind. I'll try to go through them pretty quickly. Um, two weeks ago on Friday, there was this whole triple wishing hour debacle, right? A lot of people thought that 
because the stock options and you know the index options were all expiring during the same hour on Friday, a lot of people thought that the volume would be really intense at 3 p.m. up to 4, and there's this whole maximum pain theory where the market makers are trying to make as many people as possible uh, have their options expire worthless. So in the last hour, they would try to push the market a certain way to make as many people go, uh, their options expire worthless. So I was looking into it, you know, the theory makes a lot of sense when you analyze it, but when to, we talked about this a few weeks ago also, you mentioned it, when everyone believes in something, usually the opposite happens. Like when there's too many people going one way, usually the contrary happens. So when I saw this going, I, I looked at it all day. I was like, maybe it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe I should like uh, invest into it. Going and I, I just want to jump in right here. And yep. he was texting us about this. Like he was excited. He was doing his research. Yeah. So, but when I looked at the options and the pricing for them, it just didn't make sense. Like the risk was too high for the potential profits. And it you needed to time the direction. Or you needed basically for it to go the direction that you planned it to go at the speed that you planned it to go because you only have like an hour or two and the strength of the movement that you believe it's going to go. So it just didn't make sense. And I would assume that a lot of people on Wall Street bets actually lost a lot of money buying into it. Um, so that's one of the non-trades that I did. I looked into it a lot, looked at the numbers, didn't make sense. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind, which is a little more, more generic, uh, general, is I'm not going to buy into pharmaceuticals. Uh, we talked about this before. Uh, I got burnt by them before just because of the fact that a lot of them depend on uh, their pipeline of drugs and their tests and you never know if it's going to be accepted or not. So there's pretty big spikes and drops which you can't control. Like You literally have no control. Um, and also a lot of the times the CEOs make millions of dollars and do they really care about the little investor? So if we're talking about a large cap pharmaceuticals, then that's one thing. But I'm never going to invest in a smaller uh, pharmaceutical company again. So that's, I call that a non-trade, right? In the sense of that's one of my criteria that I probably will never invest in that again. And then, the, which brings me to my third very short point, uh, I don't invest in anything that has low volume because it's a lot more vulnerable to uh, you know, bigger edge funds or market makers affecting the price while you have no control of the price. So if there's low volume on a stock, I try to avoid it. Um, even stocks that interest me, like for example, this week, uh, Callaway, the stock went up a lot and I was looking at it, but it trades there's very very low trades so it's not as liquid like you might you, you don't have any way to like quickly ex exit your position um, and the buy ask is a lot more spread out especially on a platform like Robinhood which is another, th another thing we talked about uh, the volume is so low that you, you, the spread is very wide 
uh, as opposed to on some platforms like E-Trade, it's a little bit smaller, but the bigger the um, company, the stock, like you, you won't have that big gap like that. So I prefer to stay with companies that have a lot more volume or ETFs that have a lot more volume traded. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you guys are taking notes out there, but we make sure to give you guys as much value as possible. And this is exciting. I mean, we're sharing with you not only what we're, we're preparing for the week, but also some of our tools of the trade, some of the tips and strategies. And so I hope you're taking notes because Patrick just dropped some amazing knowledge. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Do you have and any I feedback to... on it, though? Uh, so I'll agree with you with pharmaceutical. Um, I, when I first started out a long time ago, uh, I got into a, a pharmaceutical company and overnight it dropped 50%. And from that point forward, I said never again. So I've never gone into a pharmaceutical co uh, company since that point forward. Um, and then, and so your first non-trade uh, was basically mine as well. I did feel like if everybody's talking about specific, some, uh, you know, something, uh, it's not going to happen. And so I just remember going through all the texts that you were sending because it was exciting. You know, it was a lot of information and you were excited about it. But I'm proud that you actually didn't go forward and join, the, you know, the, the, the crowd the of herd. sheep. The herd, exactly. So, Everson, uh, what kind of strategies do you have for non-trades? Or did you have a, a specific non-trade you wanted to talk about last week? Yeah, no. Uh, I, and that was really good, Patrick. Uh, I, I kind of understood it as uh, average volume as, as the momentum. You know, just uh, reiterating the tail end of your conversation. Uh, especially with pharmaceuticals and everything. Um, I'm going to cover this and then I'll, I'll talk about my, my non-trades. But as, as far as the burn notice for pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical companies are situated like this because it's, it's the mentality of the trader, right? So to understand pharmaceutical companies to, is to understand that this is a fast market. This is a market that you're getting in and you're getting out. So you're not staying in a pharmaceutical company for too long. So that, that being said, if you're trading pharmaceuticals, you're in there for a swing trade. You're in there for maybe a day or two, maybe a week, no more than a month. If you're in there for a couple of weeks, you'll probably get burned. So it's understanding where they are in the position of uh, their trial. It's understanding you know, where, where they are as far as whether they, they've been developed or not. If they don't have earnings, they haven't been developed, the fundamentals don't look right, then we need to just base everything off the charts. And as, as we know from you know, the Forex market and everything, that's, that's something that, you know, getting into the non-trade, I, I, I oversee how the market is doing with, with uh, the Forex, you know, trading dollars and trading uh, cur currencies around the world. I'll look, look at those as indexes, but I'll never get into the trade. Same thing with crypto, cryptocurrency is, is one that I'll, I'll probably look at, but I'll never get into the trade at all. Um, the bond markets, Probably when I get a little older, I'll look more into the bond markets. But as far as the bond markets, bond market stocks, ETFs and, and such, I'm probably not geared towards looking into those types. Um, some ETFs that may or may, or may not trade in, in the market, probably vanguards uh, that I'm looking at that have maybe a little bit of uh, ETF that diversifies itself into the bond markets. I might look at those. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure if the, the bond market is in this particular stock, but I like VTI. At one point, uh, made, made quite a bit of money on VTI. Uh, that's a Vanguard fund. And then also, the 
the uh, the marijuana stocks. Uh, I mean, I was a buyer at one point with the marijuana stocks, but uh, you know, at this point, it's so volatile. The market's so vi- volatile that it, it, I'm not sure if I would want to get into the the marijuana or pot stocks right now. But I see that bounce. I see the the support level. I see, uh, you know, stocks being more on the upside from from here. And I, I know it. it goes in contrary to uh, Patrick's belief on that but um, as far as as burn notice for me it was the marijuana stocks at one point so that's why I kind of just sit in the sidelines I, I wait I wait for that support level to be hit I look at the charts I ask I, I ask Max hey, what do you think of this we analyze everything and and we we execute so uh, that's what I see as far as non-trades um, I'm not getting into the bond market, not getting into marijuana stocks, forex, or cryptocurrency. So, Everson, I just wanted to say, yeah, right here, but I just wanted to say, Everson, you know that the bond market is about 50% bigger than the stock market, right? Which blew my mind. About 50%. But so, you know, at one point, I seen. I, at one point, uh, sorry to interject, but at one point I seen the uh, bond market, one, one of the bond market stocks, it popped like a, you know, well over a thousand percent. It was ridiculous. And the only thing that I can think of was I wish I was in there. I mean, there there's going to be some, there, right? That, there's going to be some very good corporate bonds in the next few oh, weeks. Oh, man. Oh, um, man. I, and that's what actually might make me get into the market in the bond market. It's just for that reason only because it's, it's, it's scared money, but it's not, not money that you can't make money off of. You can make money off of it, especially now when, when people, they don't know where to put their money into. So you support municipal bonds, you support high yield bonds or whatever. Um, I, I got to do a little bit of research on it, but you're on the right target, Patrick, I think. Well, so now we know that if we're talking about pharmaceutical stocks, we're going to ask Everson questions because it sounds like he understands the process. Um, to me, it's more of a gamble. And I like to use the rules of real estate into the stocks. I just like to have a little bit more control instead of hope that something's going to pop. Um, but that's just for me. In terms of non-trades, uh, to me, the biggest non-trade I'll do is if I see a great potential for a trade, but my risk reward doesn't meet my, my goal, so I don't get my two-to-one ratio right. – or I don't get my three to one, doesn't matter how excited I am about the opportunity, I'm not going to pull the trigger. Why? Because it doesn't match my machine, and my machine is a two to one ratio when I'm buying some calls or puts. Um, right, right. And so now, hey, heading into the- Hey, Max, can I interject on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sorry, I, I didn't ask you your question about the trade strategy. I do the same thing that you do as far as being able to tolerate risk. So I'll, I, won't, I won't do more- maybe on a day or swing trade, I won't do more than a thousand unless I had a strong conviction of it, of that stock moving in the direction that I wanted it to. So my options would stay low. They'll stay below 500, but I'll look at the market and I'll analyze it on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. Absolutely. And so that gives you the control on your trade because now you're deciding your exposure, which all three of us right. have, have done really well on. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. Hey, um, so I wanted to... Yeah. Max. Just before we move on, um, don't don't lie to us. You know that you're only non-trades on AMD. Oh my <laughs> gosh! You had to bring that up, didn't you? For you, uh, for you investors, uh, for you uh, listeners out there, 
Max, for whatever reason it is, does not like AMD. I, and I'm sure we talked about it at one point. Maybe we didn't, uh, but he, I don't know why it is. I, okay, just, so, like so tell stocks. me a reason. Tell me a reason why I would ever invest in a company that its P ratio is 120 or 133, whatever it is now. I mean, well, there's, look, it doesn't look, make sense. Well, let's look at it now. I'm up. I'm up about 17% on that stock. You could have told me you were up 34%. I'm not touching that stock. Now, viewers, it's up to you if you want to touch that voodoo magic over there. I'm not touching it. It's up to you guys. Thanks, Patrick, for bringing that up. You know. And so now let me throw you a hard question now. So, so we had a little bit of un, un, uh, instability last week. Uh, a lot of traders didn't know what was happening. And to be honest, a lot of traders lost money last week, even though the market went up. Why? Because stop losses were um, activated. Um, and, and just for viewers, uh, let's just say that you have a, a support and you're always going to place your stop loss under that support to protect you. You know, so if that support is no longer valid, it gets penetrated. You're out of that position. You've protected the rest of your investment. So what the big money, the conspiracy do, they can actually see everyone's stop losses. So what they will do is they actually make sure that they activate it and then they will redirect and uh, so that's that's how a lot of money changes hands. So I just wanted to share that with the, the viewers. But now let's move on to what does the week bring us? Um, what are we looking at in the in the future, the next seven days or so? Actually, let me extend that. What are we looking at in the next two months? Forget about what's happening next week. What are we looking at in the next two months? We have the bill that's signed for the stimulus. Um, we have the 3.3 unemployment. We have a possible bottom or, you know, you'd like to call it more as a cat bounce. What are you looking at in the next two months? Patrick. If you're asking me, uh, that it's honestly a tough call. Right now, I think it can go either way. I think that we'll see this week um, how severe the spike in cases is. And I think that's going to uh, affect it a lot. Um, so this week, I'm actually going to be a little bit more careful. Last week, I had a pretty strong conviction of what was going to happen. But th just this week and next week, I, right now I'm in uh, wait and see mode, basically. I'm waiting to see where the momentum is going to go. Because one, we if we reach that second bottom, I'm going to start buying. And then if it goes down more, I'll buy more. But for now, I'm just I just need to see uh, how the market is going to react because 2.2 trillion is a lot of money. But as we like to say, the market looks at the future, not the past, right? And now we have to see, well, where do we go from here? Like we got the major news of the stimulus, but we don't really know what's going to happen now. Like it, until we get big news that's going to frame our market sentiment, we can't really know where it's going from now. So for me, for now, it's wait and see until like it develops a little bit more. So I wanted to expand on that. What's the difference between, so there's always an opportunity somewhere to make money, right? And so how do you tell the difference between waiting and seeing for better information or not digging deeper to, to find the opportunity? Is there a difference for you? Okay, so the way I see it is um, depends if you're thinking of long term or short term. Like we can do like Everson does it every week, right? We do a lot of swing trades, um, 
so I, I'm a tr I try to be opportunistic. Like I don't do it too much, but when I see an opportunity, I'll do a swing trade, but that's short term. So I'm thinking more in terms of when I'm trying to look for the bottom or close to the bottom, I'm thinking more of stocks that I want to own long term. So for example, right now there's a lot of attraction to uh, the airlines. Um, for example, Delta went up tremendously in the past week, especially after people realized that Warren Buffett invested into it. And I, you, you were talking about the stop loss making the uh, stocks go up, but in my mind, there's a lot of fear of missing out. The same way they had pushed us to 29,000, when people saw that it started to go up, everyone wanted to get in before it jumped up too much, right? Um, so now we might see the reverse. So I might play it short term on the way down or on the way up. When I say like the pendulum goes too far one way, then I bet that it's going to go on the other way. But if you're talking about longer trends, like my investments are three, five years, that's when I'm going to go into wait and see mode. Does that make more sense? No, um, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so there you go. Some more non-trades when he doesn't have the information, when he's not comfortable, he's not going to pull the trigger. And so just because you're, you're willing to invest, you have the money in your account, doesn't mean you have to trade every second. You know, sometimes you have to pause and see what's happening. So I loved your answer. Thanks for sharing that with us again. And ever said, I wanted to redirect that question to you. What are you looking at in the future in the next two months? Yeah, so as far as the next two months is concerned, I'm, I'm sort of on that same playing field where it's really hard to determine what's happening in the future uh, to be able to you know, dictate one week, maybe. Uh, I think you've been doing a, a pretty good job, Max, at being able to call um, week by week, um, you, know, you know, based on the odds and everything. But when I, when I look at the overall market for that two to three months, Honestly, I couldn't tell you a determination because the, the news is not even out on it. The fundamentals, the fundamentals are all over the place. I mean, one thing that we talked about over the weekend was the job numbers. Uh, Patrick thinks that the, uh, per our conversation, that the job numbers have not been priced in. Uh, but I, I believe that it could have been priced in already, uh, which means that the market's accepted it. And, you know, moving forward, it's, it's not going to, be much of an effect to to the economy but then i look at some stocks like uh amazon um and definitely your your major stocks like uh like fedex and ups where these are central jobs um uh, I, I don't know if amazon is is necessarily an essential i, I guess it would be essential in a sense that it, it's consumer products um you know people love amazon um and they have they have ties to to China in a in a big way, uh, Amazon is the only only stock that I know of, or any company that I know of uh, that's hiring people. I, I believe that they hired about one hundred and fifty thousand people uh, for for this month. They're the only company that's doing it. So that's uh, I just found out Lowe's Lowe's is hiring as well. Lowe's is hiring as well. Yeah, I, I'd have to go ahead and look into those. those no, stocks, they're not. But I mean, they're they're not at the same levels as Amazon. I think they're looking at twenty thousand. Right. Right. But to be able to hire in a situation like this, it's it's kind of reassuring as as companies, you know, moving forward. Um, 
I'm I'm more partial to Home Depot than Lowe's myself. Uh, I, I haven't actually taken a look at how they've done uh, recently. Um, but I know that last year I was a big buyer of, of Home Depot. Um, but I know I wanted to touch base on that, what you said, Patrick, about Delta. Uh, and, and you mentioned something about FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, and Warren Buffett also investing in a huge, uh, not a huge sum. He, he did a little bit uh, of a position in there. I think it was a little less than $100 million. I mean, huge for me. Uh, I don't have $100 million lying around the place. <laughs> I wish. But if we look at the stock itself, you know, last week, I believe it was talking about best of breed. When you look at the, the airline sector, Delta worldwide is the best of breed company. Um, so, you know, you, you talk about best of breed. Delta is one of those. They're offering a 7% dividend payout. 7% dividend payout. And from my understanding, uh, I, I don't know if they're taking in a, a, a package as part of the stimulus. Um, one of the... One of the concerns that I look out for, which is the reason why I hadn't bought in, is that if they do take in uh, some payment from the stimulus, that there was talks about maybe them restructuring and giving a part of it to the federal government, uh, like they would give 20% ownership to the federal government, which I'm, I'm still very, very much uneasy about. Uh, I'm I with you right there. To- I'm with you. I don't mean to get in, involved with that, but I mean, when I look at situations and circumstances that, that you know popped up in the news recently, the, the USPS, you know, United States Postal Service, in They're two in to three months, they'll go, they'll go bankrupt. And this has been a talk in the news for a very long time, but who, who regulates those companies when they go bankrupt? I mean, do they slap their, their hand? their own hand and support their own business or do shouldn't you give it back to the people maybe dissect that give it to fedex give it to ups give it to the uh uh what is that dn dnl or dhnl DHL. i don't know DHL. Yeah. DHL, that's those smaller companies yeah <laughs> but um yeah what do you do with that i mean it, it just i don't know so i'm, with I'm two, not sure two, strict capitalism is supposed to just let them weed out and you know in the 2008 right. crisis you know, there was that $60 billion bailout or whatever. And so you didn't, you allowed the companies, well, actually, to be honest, a few banks actually went bankrupt and they are no longer valid today. Um, so you did take it, uh, you did reduce the market from all the ones that were over leveraged. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see that with the airlines, with the cruise lines. Um, oh, but I, with bet. This big, I bet. I bet. To, to be honest, it sounds horrible. I hope so. You know, you need that cleanse. Even in our economy, we need uh, deflation. Uh, you, you, you know, um, people go to spas to get like an inter- or internal cleanse. You always need to have cycles up, down, deflation, do you do inflation. That, do you, you go to a spa and get an internal <laughs> cleanse? <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about there are people out there that do kind of stuff. But uh, I, I also wanted to, to ask you that same question, Everson, about um, the same question I asked to Patrick. How do you tell the difference between staying on the sidelines or getting more information because you, you didn't have enough information? I, you know, recently, prior to this year, I've been really strong with my fundamental process. I would look at the charts before I, I'd place a trade. But recently, Sounds like me. Because, <laughs> right. But recently, because of the speculative market and the volatility, I've, and then also, I believe that there's a lot of bit of uh, manipulation in the market. 
and so because of all these factors that surround it, I've been looking at the charts a lot more. But even when looking at the charts these days, I can't, I can't tell. You know, it, they're showing sure signs of uh, maybe like a double bottoms have actually been pretty successful in this market. I, I, I got to say double bottoms. But when you look at the triangles and everything, they don't make sense. You see that you see the choking happening and then it goes completely the, the opposite direction than, than yeah. what the cost should have been. So I, I just play day by day. I'll play it week by week, uh, play it news by news. And I, I kind of make the adjustment there. The good thing about the news is that what I see in the news is that they, you know, they, they mention about a stimulus bill. It doesn't react right away. I see a day or two for it to kind of play itself out. And then it becomes reactive until it's maybe a sure deal. And we've seen this earlier in the year before the, the virus has, had come out. We've seen it with Sprint, right? They had that, that big uh, debate on, on whether Sprint should be able to merge with T-Mobile. And the, the, uh, the judge, who is a Democrat judge uh, at that time, decided to go in favor of the merger, which was a total flip because... A lot of the Democrat states uh, were fighting against the merger. So for a Democrat judge to follow through with the merger was just a mind-boggling thing for me. Yeah. But I made a lot of money on that. Uh, I remember that day, you know, I was actually in a, in a Sprint store when I got the news, which was really interesting. But I wanted to go to Patrick. And so I did some research on the most undervalued sector. And... I mean, it's not going to be a surprise for anyone. If you match any sector to this sector, everything is overvalued compared to it. And that sector is energy. And energy is very oil dependent. So if, mm. if some of us are looking for the best sectors to invest or the cheapest sectors to invest in, um, would you invest into the energy sector or would you say that its time has come? It will go down to zero. I would actually look more to the second cheapest uh, sector, which would be uh, financial. Okay, so that's a great question, actually. Um, again, we talked about this last week. I, I know I keep going back to our previous episodes. Listeners, go ahead and <laughs> go watch them. There's a lot of good content in there. But again, it's on a case-by-case -case basis, right? Because of the fact that not all oil companies are the same. If you're talking about a shale company who has a base cost per barrel of $35, I'm going to say, and are extremely leveraged and have a lot of debt, I'm going to say might not be the best bet for you. If you're talking about a company that's well diversified and has very low cost projects that can survive at $20, $25 a barrel, and over that they actually make profits, then might be a great bet. So it's very difficult to make a wide generic statement about an entire sector because some companies are very well managed and some are very poorly managed. So, so I'd say had, that- I'm sorry, uh, so if they had exposure to natural gas and they still had a really good PE ratio, uh, you know, I'm probably talking about Chevron, would that make you more comfortable to see that diversification uh, you know, into natural gas and other uh, resources? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that oil is... Yeah, some people think that Tesla is going to 10,000 points, uh, but I think that's going to take a long time. <laughs> Everyone knows I don't really like it that much. But So eventually, yeah, oil eventually is going to go down. But 
I don't think we're there nearly yet. Right now, in the short term, talking like a few years, it should go back up. So all of those companies have decent potential as long as they don't have too much debt. So that's the number one thing that I'm looking at. And I like the commodities themselves as opposed to the companies because like companies have management and you don't have any control over that. So while when you just invest in the commodity itself, you kind of remove all of the management out of the equation. If it goes up, your investment goes up, it goes down, you know, it goes down. But I, I like to take that entirely out of the equation. So that's a good point. And I also like the commodities. But the argument against that would be that when you go into the uh, the best of breed in the companies that use that commodity, you can actually make a bigger profit. Yeah, because the, comp- uh, the, the commodity is actually going to act like a tide and it's going to raise all those companies up and it's going to bring them all down depending on its cycle. But the best of the best of that sector will actually get rocket fuel and propelled forward you know, or that opposite for the worst company. Uh, so I wanted to ask that same question to you, Everson. Um, would you start looking at investing into the energy sector just because it's so cheap? There are multiple um, uh, findings that show that the worst three sectors of a decade is that uh, they actually transfer to becoming the next, uh, the best three sectors of the future decade. Um, so, would right. you actually look at energy, or would you skip to go to number two and go into financials? Well, I think I think the way you need to look at it is like what I discussed last week, which was uh, being able to just analyze the the best of breed. I think I said it at the end of the seg- uh, episode. Um, being able to, or was it about two weeks back? I, I can't remember now. But uh, as far as the stocks are concerned, or even commodities for that matter, I mean, we let's just tackle the, the oil uh, sector in, in general. I mean, you know, the performance for the oil sector is probably down at least 60, 70% at this point. I think that if it went down to negative, we would still have an industry. It would be, I mean, people still need gas and oil. Uh, you know, being back that being the fact that you know we get into a, a war again, uh, we're definitely going to need uh, natural gas and, and oil uh, again. On a on a five day, we see a ten percent increase in in a lot of the uh, a lot of the sectors uh, with you know gas and oil. I mean, we we definitely had an uptick on that uh, last week. So I just I see a, a, a lot of stability coming into the market, whether that's played out by a, a fake pump or whether that's played out by, you know, real investors that just have the confidence in knowing that, you know, it's the markets overall have been really oversold. And now is the time to get back into it. But nonetheless, you know, going back to the point of understanding um, energy sector, money does move, you know, whether it be finance or it be in consumer goods, or energy. Money does move back and forth, and I don't. I don't think that we've seen a pop in the energy sector in a very long time. Uh, there was there was one um, Dominion Energy uh, was a stock that I, I was an investor for for Ooh, many years. Don't tell me you're off. in that one. Well, I you know I'm not in there, I, and they're big in Virginia, right? Yep. They're huge. They're huge, and they're trying to build this pipeline. But let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the facts. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so so that's that's the question I had. I mean, the, the worst sector of a decade is going to be the leading sector of the following decade. And so I was just right. kind of debating, like, 
is the energy sector, since it's so overloaded with oil, is its time done and it's going to be replaced with alternative energy? And so I thought that was really interesting. I, I also yet. wanted to make a not yet. Right. Of course, because, you know, <laughs> we're, we're big in oil right now. Um, but I did want to make a confession. And, you know, you guys are going to laugh at me. But to be honest, I actually watch your episode because you guys give such great content that sometimes it's going to help me out for the week. You know, I'm like, oh, what, what, what did Everson say? Oh, boom, boom, boom. Okay. So well, I'm what pretty sure you're listening to uh, Patrick more than myself. Well, so with oil, absolutely. So I refer to what Patrick talked about because he's got a oh, lot yeah, of Oh, yeah, definitely with oil. So um, I, I just wanted to make that confession. You guys can laugh at me. Um, so I just wanted to uh, to start talking about the charts, what we were looking at. Um, so we talked about now we had that crack and snap uh we finally went back above that 233 level that we uh we talked about what two weeks ago last week um and so it activated a lot of different stop losses but where are we going from here and so i think two weeks ago i said when we were in the middle of the range between 233 and 270 i says i said we were going to go down to 233 and then once we bounce we're going to go up to 270 to be honest, we actually didn't quite go to 270. We went up to on the spy we're talking about. If you're new viewers, uh, that's where I do a lot of my research. But uh, we went up to you're like 263. Yeah, 263. Uh, so almost to 70. And if you look at it, it's doing some bearish signals now. Um, I don't know if you guys know a little bit about Japanese candlestick patterns, but we're looking at a bearish engulfing pattern. Uh, which means that now we're retracing. So we've almost gone to that resistance. And now I think this week is going to be uh, coming back down to that 233 level or so. Um, so that's what I'm seeing right now. I'm seeing I, overall, I feel like we're, we're starting to build that bottom, um, but it's still a little too early. Our bottom is not fully fleshed out. So we're going to go back to visit it, put a couple more bricks hire a few more bulls uh so i i'm thinking we're gonna get another bounce at that 233 level um do you guys want to add anything to that uh, chart uh prediction i mean Patrick? that's what i was thinking too is that's why i said that i i think we're going to reach back down to around those levels and then might be another five ten percent but we're not going. To, I don't think we're going to go that much lower. Like some people are talking about the spy at 180 or something. I'm not seeing it personally. So we talked a little bit about that 180 level. I think it was last week, and so that's the stronger support below. Um, so if for some reason we do break this support here again, <laughs> again, but actually this time we we stay below it then I'm definitely looking at that 180. And then I would completely go into uh, Patrick's vision of looking at that bottom. Um, and then so, Everson, what did you think about uh, this week could be a little bit bearish? Uh, we sort of reached a little bit of a ceiling here at that 270, 260 level. Right. We don't have the strength. We don't have the good news to, uh, to break through that that we're going to retrace. Is that, a, is that a pretty good statement? Yeah, no, I, I definitely... I. You know, I, I kind of see a, a pullback. I see a pullback on Monday, um, for sure. But you know, like going back to your your previous question, it's it's hard to predict. Uh, and I I do I do think that you don't want the economy to grow too fast, especially with the stimulus package and everything. 
Uh, you know, back in 2008, when we had that minor recession, uh, the government will always step in to be able to support its own. We're never going to let the economy fall apart to a point where it just collapses, in, in, you know, internally. Um, so it, it'll come a time that if the market goes down too much, they're going to just stop shorting the stocks. They're going to stop doing puts. And the only way that you can invest is in, in like I was saying uh, that week, you invest in good dividend stocks that can pay out those dividends. And that's where you want to have your money sit because you can't sell it off no more. So just let your money money sit. You could you could sell off stocks naturally, but to be able to short a stock, be able to do puts in the stock, there's no more momentum in that. So your only obligation at that point was, would be to find good companies that you can invest in and, and, and put it into those companies. So you maybe you do see a couple of days where, where there is a pullback, uh, whether the charts say it or not. When we look at the the oversight of how you know go government around the world have ran the, the markets or have ran their economy, they would never allow the markets to be able to go too low where it just would crumble the whole sector. So you know, like the I don't think the energy even the energy sector will even go away. Finance finance sector and the mortgage sector, obviously, we've seen. 2008, where it, it crumbled, the bubble popped, and we saw one of the greatest recessions of all times. But, but the banks are a lot stronger away. today. The, the banks are a lot right. stronger today than they were in 2008. Um, right. and so and that's, that's why. Because they were stretched. Yeah, absolutely. Over leveraged. Um, right. But uh, that's why I was asking you guys like, would you guys go into the energy sector or would you actually skip for the financial sector to me my own belief is if i was starting to pick up some companies at huge discounts and looking for the next 10 years i'm definitely getting into the financial sector instead of They're, the energy sector it's, it's a very good choice especially right now with the government i mean the fed buying anything and everything they can get rid of all their bad debt yeah absolutely so choice, that's that's, that's very good long-term investment i i totally agree with that yeah and i hear in the financial sector that a lot of companies um you know the tendency moving forward is re regardless of regulation from the federal government or not they're not extending credit as they did before so because of the way the economy is they don't want to be able to overextend themselves and happen what happened or and do what happened in back in 2008 so i think banks are a little more positioned for that um uh, like I said, as far as the oil sector is concerned, we're still very, very strong um, with, with you know, the consumer spending on oil. I mean, I got to I got to buy gas every every week. So I, I'm, I'm going to be a big buyer. I, I just wish that I had the opportunity to buy a barrel of gas and store it somewhere because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. gas prices yeah, are absolutely. super cheap right now. Let's let's just if you can afford the commodity then buy the commodity and store it in your home. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was a joke, but uh, I saw like a meme online that showed 99 cents for gas in Kentucky, I think. So I don't know no, if they uh, had that's, just the, that's true. 99 well, no, cents. No, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm speaking in, in, for Hawaii, you can go to Costco. Gas is about for the, for high level or what is that? Um, premium. Over yeah. Premium oh. gas. It, it costs you under, under three dollars and before the average was <laughs> under three gotcha. bucks that's yeah that's really that's good 
to be, yeah, that's to be that's like, Hawaii prices. <laughs> right? yeah. What is it at over there? I don't know about the premium, but the regular is like one seventy right now. So yeah, Virginia is very cheap. Yeah, we're at like I I think it was like two seventy or something like this for the premium gas, and that's and it's probably maybe about two bucks or something like that for or or maybe under two dollars for regular gas. And to be at that levels in Hawaii where everything is shipped out, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, so you know what? Uh, we're gonna start wrapping up. I wanted to ask you guys, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about or throw out there for our viewers? Uh, I know you guys have already given so much value. Uh, I wanted to ask that question. If you had any last thoughts you wanted to throw out there, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to remind everyone that we're not licensed advisors. So we're just three guys talking about our investments. So what am I about to say? They're not advice. Like, don't follow what I'm saying. Just think about it yeah but, talk to your uh yeah you know, talk to your, to your own local professional <laughs> but i'm what i'm looking at the most right now is companies that dropped significantly that have a high barrier to entry and the ones that rebounded this week because there's no doubt in my mind that once we reach that bottom and we start going back up those same companies that bounce this week are going to bounce again for example uh the two things that come to my mind is the reason why the airlines and the uh, cruise companies went up so much this week is because the coronavirus isn't going to destroy the planes or the ships, right? Those companies don't have competition, really. Like Those are billion-dollar investments to build that infrastructure. Massive rent to uh, in those airports to get So those industries aren't going away anytime soon. So once the market recovers, those companies are going to skyrocket. And that's what I'm looking at. The companies that have been hit the most and that rebounded the hardest this week are probably going to do the exact same parabolic uh, growth. Movement. Once the market wow. recovers. All right. Holy smokes, I better start taking notes with you guys. Everson, what uh, what last uh, comments, strategies, hints, tips, magic spells did you have for us? <laughs> There's no magic here. It's all, <laughs> it's all education. Uh, so one of my lasting notes would probably be, you know, cash. Guys, girls, cash is definitely a position. Um, as much as... You Wait, have that. so I don't have to put all my investment into the market at all times? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, I, and I would, right now, what I'm doing with my puts or bearish account is I'm going more into cash. And, and like we talked about earlier in the segment, that's a good point that you made, Max, is that the non-trades. So I'm doing a lot more non-trading in my active portfolio. And like like this this whole week has been all about realigning, readjusting, looking over the market, seeing where I could position myself for the next week. Because, you know, if I can, I look at it this way: if I can make over my salary uh, for for the year for my regular uh, hourly job, if I could make over that salary for the month or the week, then I've done a good job. Absolutely. And so. You know, the tendency is for me to stock market is great opportunity. There's a high level of risk. And let me reiterate that point that Patrick made. We we are just 
regular day-to-day -day traders. Um, we do different strategies. We look at different things, but purely use this show as a fan base. Um, I've I've said I've said some things on this program that that's just I, I'm not you know looking back at it. I'm like, that's <laughs> stupid. Why did I say that? <laughs> so I consider myself as a dumb trader, but the uh, the advice is is genuine. Uh, we talked about uh, about this to the text, you know, uh, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, well, you know, the reality is sometimes you get lazy. So having that thesis, staying in cash when there's uncertainty is a position that you should uh, be vigilant and looking into. So the reason why I made that little joke that you don't have to invest your whole entire um account into the market at all times is that's exactly what this whole theme has been about non-trades and so let's say that if you had made that trade you would have lost two three four thousand dollars but you didn't it was a non-trade you could almost say that you made three or four thousand dollars because if you made that trade lost that money you would have to make one or two good trades to come back so non-trades right. are very important and it's not just us talking about it at the highest level, hedge funds and brokerage firms, that's what they talk about as well, non-trades. Protect your investment. Non-trades are, in my opinion, almost, actually, let me just say, non-trades are better than real trades. Let me put it that way. You know, And so uh, take the non-trades very seriously. If there's something you don't understand, the risk-reward doesn't match with your vision, um, Make sure that you make a non-trade. Don't just throw money out there and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to hope for the best. That's it's not, not a strategy. It's not right. gambling. It, it's, it's not saying that's not going to work. So I don't know if you guys have seen the amount of value these guys are giving you guys. It's amazing. I'm blown away. Um, and it's exciting to see that now we're sharing this conversation. And to be honest, now that we started this show, the content these guys are giving you guys is even better than they used to text me all the time. So get excited. Be thankful that you have this show to get started, to learn from. Um, and like I said, I think it was last episode. We all talked about it. We said we wished we had a vehicle or uh, a platform where we could learn this information when we first started out. I mean, what I, I would have saved a lot of money if I knew about non-trades when I first started out. Everson, it's, it sounded like you had one more thing to say real quick. I did, I did, um, and then I forgot it. <laughs> oh, okay. It's my fault. I talk too much. No, no, that's that's fine. Um, I, I definitely, you know, you you're talking about non-trades. Um, yeah, you know what? I'll probably I'll probably remember it later. I'll text. Hey, well, you, you know what, Everson? Two things. First off, let everybody know. Uh, you know your platform, how they can reach out to you because uh, you talked a little bit about your Instagram last time. Uh, what is it? How do they reach out to you? So I, I, you know, leave a comment below. We'll we'll go through that. Actually, I'll I'll go ahead on the on the edits when we do the edits. We'll go ahead and put the uh, Instagram and, and everything okay. there. So probably for for you guys, but I do do. Uh, uh, but for coaching. a podcast, real quick. Uh, so so listeners that are just hearing it, they can't see it. Uh, what's uh, what's your Instagram? So it would be uh, trust underscore this underscore process and i i sort of staggered uh individuals from being able to uh, just freely be able to find me so if you see that just go ahead and uh click click the follow and when i get the chance i'll go ahead and approve those 
I do want to mention it is official for me. Uh, no Labor in Vain is the LLC that I've uh, subscribed to, and that's my coaching, uh, financial coaching. I do, I do the level one all the way up to a level two of performance on the investable side. Uh, like Patrick was saying, I'm not a certified, uh, certified advisor. So that being said, just being a financial or a money coach, I will not tell you this is a stock that you should get into. This is, you know, uh, FRO. Get into that by now. Absolutely. Talking about uh, the concepts. The concepts right, are right. a lot more powerful because they actually right. can transcend. You know, you're, you're not teaching, you're not giving them a fish. You know, this stock, you're t teaching them the skills to be able to fish. Um, Absolutely. All right, so, so quick, fun one question. One thing is building, one build, one, real quick, one big thing is building the, vitals is what i like to say building the vitals before getting into investments so this is for anybody it doesn't have to be you wanting to get into investments but i think a lot of people especially around these times is you don't get over leverage you want to assess your financial income and see you know if you don't have an emergency account if you don't have any savings and checking okay don't get into the stock market don't don't get into investments Build yourself up, especially if you have debt. Pay off some of your debt, then build up your, your emergency funds and whatnot, and then you can start to look into the investable side. That'd be the smart way to do it. Um, and then you know, being able to diversify your risks, uh, Max, you, you talked about earlier. Um, yeah. I wish Absolutely. I remembered the question, but I, I can't say that I do. <laughs> that, that's all right. I'll just make it a, a fun question here uh, based on the theme of this whole episode talking about non-trades hey patrick real real quick off the top of your head name uh can you say how much you've saved by doing a non-trade this week you said you might have done a trade you know with that triple uh option expiration um how much do you say you you saved doing a non-trade probably a thousand dollars i mean i wasn't going to go all in and next week i think we should talk about bankroll management or you know I think that would be really helpful. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I would have probably thrown a thousand dollars at it, and since it's such a short period of time, I probably would have lost all of it. There you go, non-trade made in money. What about you, Everson? Real quick, a non-trade. How so, much did it save you? It'd probably be about the same, about one to two thousand dollars. Um, actually, you know what? I, I have to make an adjustment. It, it'd probably be about. Uh, two thousand to four thousand dollars of, of savings by just doing non-trades. Uh, I, I never, you never want to trade in fear. You never want to trade, you know, fear of missing out or or anything like that. You never want to have fear when you're trading. If you have fear, if fears and, and uncertainty is there, and you're over speculative, take a step back. It's okay. You you may have opportunity to make money. You may you you may have had an opportunity to also lose money. So just stay out of the market. Get in, gain knowledge, do the non-trade, and then get back in when, you're, when your head's right. Perfect. Well, again, like I said, we're excited to share our mastermind that we have every week, how we prepare for the market, and not only what we're thinking, we're also trying to put in little tips and, and bits on why we're making specific moves and why we're thinking a specific way. So if you got any information out of this, click subscribe, watch every episode every week, Bring a friend, bring as many friends as you can. We're trying to help you to save as much money as you can with non-trades 
and then we can build from there and, and help you direct in the right um, direction with the market. We're showing you every week almost to the T what the market, uh, what the week's going to look like. Like this week, I'm looking at a 3-2. Three, three bears, two bulls. Uh, we'll see what happens because I think we're hitting our head on a ceiling. And now it's time for us to shrink back down and uh, try to gather some more bull friends to get back up. So thank you so much for watching the episode. We are so excited to share this knowledge with you guys. We appreciate you, and we'll see you in the next episode. Have a great day.